Hello and welcome back to Untold Wealth. I am one of your hosts, Vince. And I'm Devin. And this is episode 13. Our topic today, why use cash in a cashless world? Devon, this is episode 13, and I'm, I, the amount of times that I've double-checked and triple-checked that this is episode 13 is countless. How are you Good. doing? Good. You should have double-checked, because it definitely wasn't both of our faults that we <laughs> messed up last episode. No, <laughs> Definitely, no, the, definitely not both. Solely you. That was your fault. What? Solely you? <laughs> oh. Who, who spoke first? Oh, I, I spoke first last episode. Damn it, it's totally my fault. You're right. <laughs> How are you doing? I'm good. I'm good, and I want to know why we use cash in a soon-to-be-cashless world, question mark? Mm-hmm. I mean, it does seem so. This topic, for our dear listeners, is actually an audience suggestion by Let's go. Hold on hold gold who actually originally proposed the psychology of paying with cards versus PayPal versus physical money. And we've taken inspiration from it and made it a little bit broader, but also a little bit narrower. So Devin and I can have a bit of like wriggle room to bring some fairly interesting topics to the table. Uh, But before I even dive into what I'm going to be chatting about, I wanted to ask you, Devin, do you have a, a preference just off the bat? Do you prefer using cash, your card, or just making transactions online? Do you have a preference for any of those? I definitely prefer using card. But that's more because I don't like carrying around cash and coins specifically. Um, yeah, that would definitely be my preference. But I'm not like fervent about that. I'll just use whatever I feel like at the time. But, you know, psychologically speaking, I feel like if I have cash, I just like want to get it off me. And I think that's bad when you want to kind of smooth your consumption right, <laughs> and not spend right. as much today. Yeah. And I think that holds up for a lot of people, me included. Like, I can remember distinctly a time where I used cash more. And over time, over the years, and with COVID especially, me and the rest of the world seems to be using cash a lot less. And the one other thing that I was going to ask you before I really dive deep into what I wanted to chat about was just an interesting question that I posed to myself while I was researching, but I wanted to get your opinion on. Like, let's say you're walking down the street, you're like shopping or you're with some friends. What denomination of currency, uh, whether it be like a two rand coin or a five rand coin, or even like a 50 cent coin, at what point of that denomination would you stop and pick it up instead of just carrying on? That's a terrific question. Wow. Um, For any international viewers, let's put it in terms of dollars, like one dollar is worth about 20 rand. So. You do the mental maths with whatever rand amount I'm about to say. Um, five rand. I would pick up a five rand. A five All rand. Right. It's a bigger coin, so it's easier to pick up as well. It's, <laughs> it's, it's a little bit... It actually looks pretty cool. Look up South African five rand coins. They're quite a unique type of coin. They're kind of dual color, and they kind of have an outer rim and then in the middle. Yeah, they're cool. Five rands are cool. They're also not small enough even in South African terms that I feel like, it, you know, it can still be used for purchasing some. Yeah, five rand. Good for, in South Africa, we have a lot of car guards as well. Five rand is something nice you give to car guards. Um, even, you know, petrol attendants and things like that, if you have enough of them. Yeah, five rand, five rand. And you? I think I would also have around that mark. Maybe like, I'd also, a one rand or a two rand, I'd be tempted. But if we're talking about the cents or anything less than that, I am, I'm, likely just moving on my way um, and and any notes you're there like a bear like, i'm about it. i'm specifically stopping to pick that up 
But yeah, I think that kind of goes to show not only how little, littler and littler cash is present in our lives to where uh, a considerable portion of the like actual physical currency that we used to use is now no longer as valuable to us. Like it's literally free money there on the ground, but it's not worth the time in our minds or the weights to carry it uh, for us to just bend down and pick it up. And this isn't just a South African thing. This is a global thing as well. Between 2014 and 2021, in Europe specifically, cash usage has declined by nearly a third, 33%. And in Norway in particular, only 3% of payment transactions are made with cash, which is pretty crazy to think how quickly we've evolved into just using cards, our phones, and kind of transacting on online platforms and institutions. You bastard. You got into my fact sheet. I have that one there as well. <laughs> no, okay. okay. <laughs> although, although, although mine mm-hmm. is more Sweden is largely less than 10%. Um, I don't know about Norway being as low as 3%, though. Um, the Scandinavian countries, they're so developed, they don't even want cash anymore, apparently. It seems so. And that kind of inspired me to think, like, if we're progressing down this road where cash is becoming less and less used, physical currency, uh, to clarify, um, like, what will happen in a couple of years' time? maybe even 10 to 15 years. And is it worth keeping physical currency around in a cashless world? So proposed with that, I'm actually going to shift the onus of deciding whether or not cash is worth keeping around to our listeners, because I'm just going to be chatting about basically a thought experiment. What if I snapped my fingers and we were teleported to a future where physical currency, physical cash is non-existent what conveniences or challenges could we expect compared to the financial and physical setting that we live in today Uh, i'm going to take it from the macro perspective and then kind of focus down to what the everyday person's experience might be um and yeah this is just going to be kind of a little bit more open so if you have any uh i suppose opinions or questions or anything like that please do chime in sound good i always chime in uh, <laughs> i think if we had a bigger audience there would be like devon is annoying by how much he chimes in no but our no, audience no. is growing and we'll get to the stage where i thoroughly annoy everyone um, <laughs> but, but i will i will i will so looking at first the fiscal implications so what impacts what things would impact government spending and taxation. One of the first things is seigniorage revenue. And I'm really hoping that I pronounced that right because I did look up the definition and like how to pronounce it, but it slipped my mind currently. But what this is, the seigniorage revenue, is the portion of income that governments gain by printing money, essentially. And this, I remember when I learned in high school or university, probably the former, um, it kind of blew my mind that governments were making profits by printing money um, and quite a substantial profit. Like in America, the Federal Reserve, they only spend 8.6 cents for every $100 bill that they print. So they basically make more than a $99 profit for every dollar, a hundred dollars that they print out, which is pretty good profit margin. But obviously there comes a certain consequences if you do this too much, such as inflation, etc. and etc. But in this cashless society, if we weren't using physical currencies at all, governments might not have that income. But on the other hand, if they didn't print the money, in this cashless society, they could just, you know, change a zero on like an online uh, digital platform to like a million. And then they'd make even more money without any costs, I suppose. So that's... Well, that's what I was going to say. 
like they would still print the money digitally. So in fact, that, what was it? 86 cents, you said? 8.6 cents. 8.6 cents would go to like one or two cents for like, I don't know, whatever server they use to maintain their ledger accounts or whatever. You know, maybe the electricity from the PC they used to click enter on when they printed the money. I don't know. <laughs> so yeah, I I got a little bit into a rabbit hole with this, even though this is only like an initial point of mine or just an initial thing I wanted to touch on. Like the fact that governments can just print this money and like have it go into the economy and then just the idea that they could just you know change a number and have many millions and millions really uh, kind of broke my mind of like damn that money is just really not really as tied to anything when you're in this digital space compared to a physical setting i think it's so much weirder because already fiat currency is a difficult concept to understand and yeah. even when you do understand it it's weird but now there's not even a physical representation of it and you're like, whoa, what? Whoa, 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 whoa. How do they even, you know, <laughs> track ledgers? How do they verify digits, you know, bits and bytes coming from one computer are legitimate when, you know, other computers are not? And That's a good point. Cryptography plays a role in that. Um, but yeah, this, that is weird. So yeah, um, okay. Reserve Bank would be different. True. On the plus side, though, governments would, I think, have an easier time not only. Uh, reducing black market activities but also uh, stopping tax evasion yes. because obviously if things are tracked digitally like we saw this i mean this is present now when you're banking uh, online but also with like cryptocurrency you can see where the money is going at every stage of the transaction every person has like an account that you can see the money in or see that it passed through so in the case of physical cash that's not the case. So reducing that and having a cashless society might increase government income in terms of taxation, which, you know, is a good thing, stopping black market illegal trades and things like that. I actually saw a thing where in Europe, uh, they uh, stopped producing the 500 euro note because that was the most used for black market activity. And I think mm. it was something crazy like out of all the banknotes that they had not accounted for or like they didn't know where it was, there were like several hundreds of millions of these 500 euro notes just missing because they were so favored in kind of black market trades, underground dealings, things like that. And, so, and the higher that denomination of currency, the more likely it is for people to fraudulently make it, right? And like mint it themselves, essentially. I mean, in South Africa, the 200 Rand note is infamous for being the one that people check out the most. You know, they hold yes. it up to the sun, they make sure this one's legit. Because obviously, if you're going to print your own money or be fraudulent about it, you're going to choose the one that has the most quote unquote value, right? Mm. Exactly. But the government would also have to have an active part in creating a digital payment infrastructure. Because if everything's in a digital platform, there's no, I guess, physical currency that can be traded. People who aren't as digital, digitally literate or aren't in the possession of the like, infrastructure like a laptop or a phone in some cases to make these transactions would have to have some sort of alternative. So you might find... Um, options i mean currently you can have options to exchange money at atms but likely even greater steps in that sort of front moving over to monetary policy so like more reserve bank stuff to do with interest rates and things i think digital currencies would have a very i mean the main point of them is compared to physical currency is that they are very easy to transact like the friction, I suppose, to make a transaction online compared to physically is a lot, lot quicker. So you might see a lot more bank runs and potential consequences for systematic risks in banks that traditional banking systems and 
I guess the Reserve Bank by extension would have to account for. And I think researching this part in particular, like it's not just the fact that digital currencies will have an impact on the banking system, but the digital platform as a whole. Like I, I read that there was this investigation for the Silicon Valley bank crash where they like investigated what caused it. And largely it was caused by Twitter. Twitter interactions online in the digital space caused the bank run for Silicon Valley Bank. Which to me, in like this digital age, is something that I think might be happening more and more frequently. I mean, we saw it during the pandemic where certain stocks such as Tesla and cryptocurrencies were just surging up because of hype. And in a world where you just have digital currency that can be traded quickly, efficiently, without any real barriers or points of friction, that might occur more and more and more. So I have two things there. So firstly, it totally makes sense that like Twitter is, you know, the reason why, you know, where all the discussion is happening. It's the town square of the modern age, right? Mm -hmm. Any social Mm -hmm. media really is. Twitter is so much more geared towards discussion though. So I can definitely imagine that. Probably like bank runs in the past, the newspaper came out that morning and then people like all like went crazy. So, you know, they probably do the same study back then. Yeah. You know, the newspaper will be the primary cause. Like, oh, they got riled up because of the Herald. Um, (laughs) Yeah. And then secondly, what would be the point of having a bank run when there's no cash? Where are you taking the cash? Into a private e I guess that's a good question. What's the point? What's the, you know, why why are you putting an e-wallet? It's still going to be, yeah, I don't get it. I guess the the point would be to remove the money from the bank in question to another wallet or another bank before that bank can't pay you that money anymore. It's so weird because bank runs are emblematic of you know, kind of a like a systemic problem, like yes. a, like an externality. It's not usually because that specific bank is failing. Like it's usually because, oh my word, like a war's broken out. My, you know, like let me get my cash or my gold, whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I convert it. Like it's not really because, like I think, you know, bank is gonna fail. But then again, I have never really lived through. A bank run. <laughs> now <that> I think <laughs> about it. <laughs> and, you know, hopefully we, we won't have to really contend with such a thing. Um, but yeah, I mean, that does raise a good point. I mean, bank runs, maybe bank run isn't the best word for it, but like some sort of digital equivalent, uh, whatever that may be, could be a, a, a externality or an effect that we could see in this world. Um, but yeah, I also wanted to chat about, I mean, I touched on it very briefly here, the kind of broader economic impacts, like in a cashless society, transactions will become super efficient, like reducing any time wasted that would have otherwise been happening if you were just handling cash. And so marginally, potentially economic productivity as businesses don't have to deal with physical cash anymore could be more streamlined. Although personally, I don't think this has that big of an impact. Um, Like, I don't think, I guess from the current point, it's going to be that much more efficient if we changed everything into just digital currency or have a cashless society. Yeah, I don't buy that so much. I mean, let's look at it from a business point of view. What's wrong with having cash? You've got to count it often. You have to have, you know management on the ground keeping track of it and then that goes to your you know accounting and finance department they have to keep track of floor cash right how much is deposited and then when it's like deposited it's kind of like like i can track it easier now Mm -hmm. Um, so that's one second is like you know then having to refill the cash you know in your float or petty cash or whatever you have like those two things for sure would you know not exist anymore and that's cool but other than that, I can't think of much. I agree. I, I don't think 
it's that big of a change. But for sure, like those small little moments, I suppose, where you are filling up the petty cash, um, I guess if you accumulate it all, it could like save a bunch of time. But on an individual business by business basis, probably not. Um, but you touched on something there, which I was going to uh, mention now, which is job displacement. There are certain jobs now where cash is handled, such as cashiers, uh, cashiers, sorry, <laughs> um, and bank tellers, where those jobs would likely be irrelevant. But I think in this cashless society, there'll likely be an equivalent job to do with financial security, uh, digital banking, cybersecurity. So instead of like a, a cashier, why do I keep saying cashier? A cashier. You would have I've someone. Al- I've always called it cashier in my head. So I'm with you in your wrongness. I don't know if it's that wrong. I, <laughs> I'm I, with you though. I think my brain is just wired to say like cashew. And so I'm trying to say cashew for cashier. But anyway, um, yeah, I think equivalent jobs will pop up in this kind of digital money society that will make up for those in most cases, as I think we found with the the modernization of other jobs. But yeah. And the last thing that I want to mention is kind of the psychological aspects. And one of these you actually touched on in a previous episode. I'm trying to remember which one it was, but it was to do with how there's a friction of choice when you're faced with something. But to, to kind of explain further, maybe you'll be uh you'll also remember like having a, a a digital space where you can transact really easily, I think the equivalent of like mobile game in-app purchases will transfer over to whatever digital space we would be in this hypothetical society. So if you're on a website and currently, you know, some new sites have a paywall, instead of, you know, putting in your credit card details or whatever, this cashless society might just be a simple tap of a button. And when you're in that position where you want something and the ease of which you can get it is just a tap of a button away, you might find digital payment traps where people prey on the psychology of one-click purchases and gamifying certain things to increase impulsive spending. Well, that's an interesting theory. Like, it would mean that you know most methods of payment would become a lot more streamlined yes there's only one method of payment now let's make it as streamlined as possible for the consumer hey this only benefits you one click of a button you know using our web chrome extension put in your credit card one time and we'll integrate it with every browser and every browser now wants to have this plugin yeah i can see that for sure i'm i wouldn't Hmm. be surprised if that was a thing currently um but in this kind of hypothetical society that would become a, a mainstream thing. Uh, the other thing psychologically would kind of be, I think, a dissociation of what that money means to the individual. I think cash is like a very tangible thing. You're holding it, you can count it, you know what? It's right there in front of you. But I think a lot of people, and me sometimes, Online money or the money that you have in your bank account sometimes doesn't feel as real. Like you can kind of get away with convincing yourself to spend this money because of, you know, it's just doesn't matter as much. Whereas if you had that physical money in your hands, it might be more difficult to spend. And it reminded me of this TikTok trend that came about recently called girl math. Have you heard of this? No. Really? Okay, this is going to be very fun. So, girl math is basically a phenomenon where, uh, I mean, namely girls, according to this trend, but other people as well, I've definitely experienced it, kind of justify certain spending habits. Like, let's say you opened your wallet or digged around in like a pocket of yours and you found like a hundred rand note. According to girl math, Whatever you buy with that 100 Rand note, even, you know, if you do remember putting it there at some point in the past, is free. 
because you didn't have it before, you didn't know it was there before. And it's basically like you've just bought something for free. That money is not real. But that's not girl math. That's that like everyone does that though. Like everyone's found a little, you know, denomination of currency and been like, hell yeah, let's go buy some ice creams or something. You know? <laughs> True. Yeah. I think the trend has kind of blown up because of a certain it started off with this podcast where they had a segment where the hosts uh, three women would justify like a caller's spending habits and i remember watching one where she spent money to go to taylor swift's uh new tour but she bought tickets for all three nights and like the plane tickets there the accommodation there and there was this kind of justification of that money where it was like you know if you take so many videos of the 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 concert and you watch them back a thousand times it's basically free because you've watched it so many times that the cost has like basically been nullified and it's a little bit silly but to some extent i think this kind of dissociation between i genuinely did not get that anecdote like that makes no sense to me they take videos she's describing she took a video of the concert and then rewatch it a thousand times for some reason that justifies what? What so does it justify? Trapping this, there and going and watching? This caller called in to ask these hosts to justify the cost that she spent on this concert and the accommodation and the, the flights there or whatever. Uh, and she had like a figure and then the podcast hosts uh, basically were trying to justify that it's basically free. And one of the arguments that they put forth was that if you take a video of the concert and like rewatch it throughout your life like a thousands of times, then it's basically like you've paid for that concert X times over, which makes the initial cost free. It's a little silly, like it's kind of a joke, but there are in this kind of trend of girl math, <laughs> that's kind of one of the justifications that popped up. Uh, I don't get it at all. Like, I get it. You made a cherished memory. Cool. You can make the argument that I'll spend any amount of money for a cherished memory. I can totally understand that. But <laughs> when they, they're talking about how many times they watch it and stuff, <laughs> no, 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 no. It's a little bit nonsensical. It. it is a little bit nonsensical. But it, if you just ignore that and, and revert to my prior explanation of like the the 100 rand in your pocket. I think that's also a little bit more relevant to what I'm chatting about anyway. Um, that was a bit of a tangent. But yeah, the, the kind of convenience and the dissociation of spending online currency could potentially lead in this hypothetical society to overspending and like financial stress and people taking on more debt because you know they're, they're tending to spend more in a cashless world. Um, but yeah, the last thing that I was going to mention uh, for the psychological aspects was that in a cashless society, and this kind of also ties into the government being able to track uh, transactions better, such as with uh, tax and tax evasions, um, people might be uncomfortable with the fact that all their financial transactions or history could be tracked by institutions and entities like i'm sure there are definitely people who have taken out cash for a specific reason to not do something illegal but do something that they don't want physical or digital records of um and they just rather keep on the down low of which cash is an excellent medium of exchange so privacy concerns could be increased in this cashless society but yeah, I think that's a pretty broad overview, and I've only really touched on things rather than dived into them um, a bit more deeply. But based on that as a whole, the physical, monetary, economic impacts, and the psychological aspects for it, do you think having cash currently is better, or would you think that living in a cashless world would be a better alternative? 
I'm going to also ship the onus of that question uh, onto the <laughs> for sure. <laughs> no, no, genuinely, in in what I've what I've researched, which is honestly a lot of what you have. So pat on the back. We we may have been researching the same stuff, but I I have some other changes or differences. Yeah, no, it's it's a too big a question for me to answer for sure, and it would have to be a push from a society at large. And if those reasons justify those pros and you know some of the cons then sure go for it um yeah i think yeah that dear listeners dear viewers please drop a comment on letting us know whether you think keeping cash around there was also i wanted to dive into like how cool uh currencies are to like as a representative of the nation that they're circulating in like obviously the south african rand has like the big five and past presidents and other notable parts of our history that would get lost and then be reduced to a single in in south african rand's case just an r that doesn't have that much symbolism there are small things like that that would also be lost but i'm interested dear listeners whether you think we should be living in a cashless world we're in a world where cash is still a thing. But, yeah, I'm, I'm very curious what you decided to kind of dive into for this topic. Vince, you've yes. stolen all I wanted to talk about. Oh, no. Nah, I'm joking. You, <laughs> but, but, like, you did such a good job of presenting everything. So, so maybe let's, let's discuss a bit of what I've researched and, you know, like flesh it out a little bit more, perhaps as much as we can. But okay. I have a question to pose to you. Excellent. What, if you could hazard a guess, what percentage of your transactions in the last month have been with cash? So the transactions yeah. themselves. It's a tough one. Mine, mine I... <laughs> I did a bit of an educated guess, and it's definitely still a guess. Okay. It's about 25%. Really? It's actually, no, it's probably a bit more. It's probably around a third, because I do do a, like a lot of small transactions here and there with cash. Yeah. I, I genuinely think that it's like 2% or something absurd like that. Like, I, I never use cash. I went to an ATM like two months ago. And I'm fairly certain like that was the first time that I'd been to an ATM to withdraw money for at least a year and a bit. So fractional, tiny. Yeah. No, yeah, mine's probably a lot less than 33% now that I'm thinking about it. Like I just figured when was my last ATM withdrawal? Yeah, that long ago. I was clubbing <laughs> with some friends and they, they had to have cash to let you in. So I was like, okay, well, I got to get some cash. And that was probably the last time I had cash on me. So I revised my statement. It's a lot less. I, I think but... I'm a bit of a gremlin at home. Like, I don't really go out or spend money besides, like, online. So I, I'm not the best representative for the average person, I believe. I think you might be a little bit more accurate. Yeah, maybe. Now I think you're selling yourself short. But it's on the trend of, of getting lower and lower. And when you and that's only the amount of, like the number of transactions, right? We're not even talking about the the value of the transactions. If you look at value, it's even lower. So right now it's about eighteen to sixteen percent of point of sale transactions globally oh, are geez. done with cash. So between eighteen and sixteen percent globally. There's some outliers. Africa and the Middle East is forty four percent. That is astounding. That is crazy almost and half insane almost half and that is likely because um very underdeveloped nations obviously that's probably what you think and you know like european nations are sitting at around 20 to 30 percent america is a little bit higher i mean a little bit lower between 10 and 15 and obviously there's some outliers even in europe there's obviously norway and sweden which are well below 10 percent um yeah it's quite mad when you think about it um yeah so cash is is on the download globally i think it's about 33 percent debit card 25 percent credit card and then about 30 percent e-wallet i don't <laughs> know if all that maths adds up but it's thereabouts um yeah e-wallet e was surprising to me i didn't think e-wallet would be that high yeah um yeah i almost exclusively debit or credit card 
more nowadays, I'm a credit card individual. What I no like way. to do, yeah, I'm a credit card individual. What I do is I completely drain my debit card um, of my funds at the beginning of the month. I put it into, you know, other things, investments and stuff. And I use my credit card as my liquid, as my liquidity. Um, that's just how I like to do it because I feel worse when I pay for things with my credit card because I'm like, oh my God, this could incur debt. And then I'm like more likely to pay it off at the beginning of the next month. Right. Um, that's just like my psychology with it. You guys want to use that method? You can, not financial advice, of course. <laughs> yeah, because uh, I'm, I'm strictly a debit card user, a, a debit card scrub, potentially, because that must, sounds you must very... Do the cr- you must do the credit card method because you just you basically debit order and stop order your 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 debit funds into your investments and into your banks, savings accounts, whatever you want. And then you're like, cool, I have no money until you need <laughs> to spend money. And you're like, oh, I have a fucking credit card. That's amazing. Um, and you end up spending way less because no one wants to put things on credit because you know it could incur interest. That's yeah. And obviously mine... Just, just noteworthy listeners. I'm not incurring interest. I'm definitely paying it off before the interest threshold kicks in. Relax. <laughs> um, yeah. So that's just what I do. So yes, I mean, obviously, cash is on on the low end, but I mean, that statistic about Africa and the Middle East being about 44% was quite striking, right? Um, yeah. So, so what are why are we going to cashless? Right? You've mentioned some of some of the reasons. You know, it's efficient. Okay, it helps with international transactions as well. Um, I mean, think back in the day, how the hell were you supposed to pay, um, you know, one of your creditors in London, for example? Like, with the email, like, just mail them, you know, pounds or whatever. Makes no sense whatsoever. It's more efficient for, um, you know, electronically to send them money, and then they they can literally go and spend it immediately. Right. It only makes sense. And even though international payments using, you know, the SWIFT financial uh, recording system, which is kind of what people use for international payments nowadays, um, I actually don't know if there's an alternative to SWIFT. I think all countries that do international payments have to use SWIFT. Look it up. I mean, every bank account and your accounts as well will have a SWIFT code attached to it, right? If you want to receive money from abroad, you have your own specific SWIFT code. That sounds right. Because I think during when Russia invaded Ukraine, like they were cut off from like the SWIFT network. And and Mm. that was a very big thing because there wasn't any alternatives. I wonder if that's still the case, actually. Yeah, all the Russian situation is things changing. Some businesses took three years to pull out. Some businesses took like six months, three months. No, Russia's weird. But yeah, there's, there's there's been countries that are more than flirting with the idea of going completely cashless. And by this, they are like close. Okay. And close means like if there's, they are poised for a societal pushback against cash to just completely, you know, go cashless. Mm. Number one is Sweden, actually. And you obviously pose these two kind of questions, fiscal and monetary policy. What would happen if, if uh, the society went cashless? Sweden has published numerous papers on what would happen. I didn't read those papers. I ain't got time for that. But I know the conclusion to those papers. And <laughs> remarkably, uh, the conclusion was nothing much would change. Um, no the kidding. Monetary, the monetary policies and fiscal policies that are still being enacted um, would largely remain the same. At least that was their conclusion. Listeners, if you want to take a look at it, read it up. Sweden has published numerous papers on it. Um, so there, and that's why I was surprised when you said Norway was 3%. because. From what I read, Sweden was perceived to be the lowest, and they were just under 10%. But, I mean, maybe I'm getting my facts Like, hey, Sweden and Norway, I know they hate each other, but, like, same country. Um, uh, Sorry, Swedish and Norwegian listeners. You're just creating enemies (laughs) today. I know. (laughs) To the rest of the world, like, yo, they hate us. All I know is Norway's got the oil. Sweden doesn't. Um, Yeah, so Sweden, they're pretty primed. But they haven't pulled the trigger because, you know, there's not the biggest load of benefits um, to going to a cashless society. The second country that's been close has been China. Um, But unlike Sweden, they don't want to go completely cashless. They want a 
they want a digitized currency, kind of like crypto, to run alongside its cashed, cash-fueled society. But it is quite literally a different asset, right? Um, I don't Are these the inter- mm. uh, central bank digital currencies or whatever they're called? Yes, yes. Both, are, both Sweden and China, that's what I'm talking about. Okay. Yeah, there's, there's, there's other decentralized currencies. Obviously, crypto is out there. But talking about crypto, it's, we haven't even talked about it in the podcast yet. I mean, we talked about it in the one esports episode that yeah. esports segment I did, but I don't know. I just I've I've lost my taste for talking about crypto, so we won't even go there. But obviously, it's completely different because if a government, um, you know, backs a currency, uh, it all has to be transparent and trackable, as you have you have so keenly observed and explained. So it is notably different, right? Um, but China basically has two giant corporations. Um, there's obviously Alibaba, which has a payment regime called AliChat, which is giant in China. And then there's Tencent, which has WeChat. And those two payment, uh, payment methods and you know, e-commerce methods, WeChat especially is kind of seen as this you know, God app. It's this all-encompassing app <laughs> that functions as your Amazon, as your communications, as your social media and twitter and instagram like wechat is kind of like everything it's kind of what this make if this has any relevance to you it's kind of what elon musk wants to push twitter to becoming mm-hmm. according to a lot of people and himself actually um but yeah that's why it's china's quite poised to do this as well because a lot of its commerce is driven through these two apps which are highly highly digitized um so that's why they're quite keen on doing it um yeah it's faster it's digitized um one of the reasons that I've read is that it can easily get an unbanked population, which China has one of the biggest unbanked populations in the world. Unbanked I don't know for those, Yeah, so unbanked, for those of you who don't know, are people that just refuse to, to use banks. Well, I wouldn't say refuse, they just don't, right? We don't know the reason. Some of them are probably conscientious objectors to a, <laughs> you know, uh, system central bank system some are probably so underprivileged they don't even have access to to banking facilities or perhaps the internet right Mm. so it has no use to them which is obviously very sad and probably one of the reasons why africa and the middle east have such a high cash rate um you know is is that they they're probably a lot they have the highest proportion of unbanked um and underbanked uh you know users in their population yeah. Um, but that doesn't does that make sense to you, Vince? Like why would going to a cashless society bring unbanked people into digital banking? Because it just sounds like you're forcing them into digital banking. <laughs> it really does. The the only argument that I can make for it is like maybe the unbanked population have like a stigma against banks, and then this is kind of a an entirely separate thing that they might trust more. I'm not too sure. But that's the only reason that I can think of. I I think it's yeah. I think that's a bit of a political statement to say like it's going to be good for unbanked people. It's going to make them come in, you know, have e digital money. I don't know. That just sounds like a tactic to force people into a you know less privatized system, as you explained. And the third reason is uh, you know China kind of wants to improve their status as a reserve currency. I mean, right now. United States dollar is is the uh, global reserve currency of the IMF, um, and yeah, they obviously the yuan and China kind of wants to dethrone the dollar in all its in all its glory, um, <laughs> and they think this might be a crucial stepping stone. Interestingly enough, eighty eight percent of all uh, international debt payments are made in dollars, which no is kidding. quite crazy. Eighty eight percent. Next, the next best is the euro. Um, but it's it's obviously nowhere near eighty percent. Yeah, simply by virtue of maths. Um, so I like those are the benefits. That's why these countries kind of want to go to a cashless system. All the things you explained, it being faster, more digitized, more transparent, especially for government agencies. Yes, but the cons are that it's no longer as private as it used to be. You know, you might not want your big brother government looking over every single transaction in a neat little ledger that they automatically have um, because of your digitized transactions. Um, yeah, the cons are that it could 
you know, disenfranchise people who want to simply stay out of the banking sphere. A legitimate concern. I mean, you know, freedom of banking. I don't know if you can say it. You know, maybe you are a firm believer in that. I'm a little on the fence. Like, I don't really see the reason. But uh, since the birth of crypto, a lot of people kind of believing in this decentralized society this decentralized currency society and you know i can sympathize you know dig a little deeper into it yeah regardless of what your views are on cryptocurrency in terms of the the use for it the technology that it has behind it is quite cool when you think of it in the perspective of a cashless society and the ability to keep things tracked in such a way and also just have a a centralized or decentralized currency depending on which one you prefer mm. yeah another one is is something that's recently been a lot of topic for discussion is that e-money can be stolen um a lot of heists have occurred people have hacked banks you know that that use like swift verification on their international transactions and they've gotten through um some get away i mean there's this notorious North Korean hacker hacking group that hasn't quite claimed a lot of these uh, heists and hacks, but you know a lot of indicators point to them. I can't quite remember what their name is now, but there's been a lot of heists um, of of money, right? And yeah. that isn't even necessarily due to the cryptography, right? They're not really breaking the cryptographic code, um, which is like the public key uh, of each transaction, right? They are just finding some kind of exploit through banks and around the system. It's not really the cryptography. But the cryptography could soon be an issue. Vince, can you guess why the cryptography could soon be an issue on our transactions and our ledgers? I mean, from like a first impression standpoint, it might be difficult for the average consumer to get a hang of to do that. Or or maybe there's just like this inevitable arms race of cryptography people who break it cryptography people who break it yeah not not quite there's an arms race uh not really of the people but of the technology specifically quantum computing um, oh I see. yes yes apparently lots and lots of groups are purchasing encrypted data which i'm not too sure if it's legal or not but they're getting a lot of encrypted data and simply storing it because the first day a quantum computer begins to start breaking the uh, AES cryptography uh, <laughs> methods we use today, which are, which are public key methods based on prime numbers. Do a little research. It's very extensive and it's, it's almost impossible. And almost impossible doesn't do it justice. It's pretty much impossible for a modern day supercomputer, even a bunch of supercomputers to break this encryption. It is that strong. However, quantum computer can do it very, 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 very easily, right? So there's an arms race to develop the first quantum computer, all right? It's mainly being done by universities. That isn't the the worrisome arms race. The arms race is more for the cryptographers um, who are one to guard people's data and obviously the transactions behind it. They are developing new methods to to be quantum-proof, right? Quantum-resistant, I think, is the phrase. So, so that's a big problem, right? If we don't develop those methods within the next twenty years, I mean, that's kind of the trajectory about uh, the trajectory by which the first quantum computer will be made. Then you're in trouble. And imagine if our entire society is cashless, and then we can't protect our transactions database from quantum computers. Then there's a big problem. It's like Um, a kid in a candy shop. Take whatever you want. Exactly. I don't think it'll come to that. Apparently, there have been numerous methods that have been quantum resistant. It obviously takes a lot of testing. You also probably want to test it against a quantum computer to make sure. So, <laughs> but that's a worry. That's a genuine worry. Hacks and heists are a worry. Um, yeah. And then the last con is, I'm so glad you brought it up, Vince. It's that cash is just cool. <laughs> cash is cool. <laughs> How else are we going to have cool music videos and, and people just, you know, chucking around cash at a strip club? You know, oh, what's going to happen? 
you know cash is I was... patriotic and cool uh, you I'm... can't argue with it it just is I was just thinking, like, you know, a reason for cash is like, what are they going to do at strip clubs? Like the, you know, just getting yeah. out your debit card doesn't have the same, like, ring to it or yeah. the same emphasis. But I didn't want to bring it up. So I'm very glad that you <laughs> segued us into that. I'm sure there's scenes in, like, Blade Runner and, like, dystopian universes and movies and such where they go to, like, strip clubs and, you know, um, <laughs> various red light districts and they pay for stuff, like, scanning it on their wrist or a card or whatever. <laughs> that effect will be gone forever there will be a generation of children that will not have grown up and felt cash how weird is that we will become the boomers um how yeah. would you flip a coin to decide something <laughs> to flip my e-coin <laughs> <laughs> yeah actually yes so much so much will change so many little things back and, in the good old days i can see yeah. it already and in ways we will not be able to understand or comprehend until it happens so many little little ripples in society will occur at once and you'll just be like what is going on if cash were to not exist um but yes that is that is all i want to chat about vince i mean this is this has been an exceptionally long episode wow um but that was awesome i had a lot of fun um yeah any key takeaways from a cash to a cashless world i think i think a cashless world is maybe the trajectory like the trajectory that we're on but there there is a part of me that is just it has a nostalgia or, or just a a liking to cash that i think i will never go away the 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 look the feel the the utility and just having grown up with it i think i'll always have a special place in my heart for cash even if it's not the trajectory that we're on you know, something we haven't spoken about is the spread of disease. I mean, cash is one of the, you know, one of the dirtiest kind of things you can touch <laughs> in your day-to-day lives, right? It's just really, it's really dirty. That's true. Um, interesting. Food for thought. Food for thought. Um, and dear listeners, thank you so much for listening. Um, please rate us five stars. Subscribe. Tell us in the comments below. Cash or cashless world. We'd love to hear from you as usual. This has been Devin and... Vince Bullock. And we will see you in the next episode. See ya.